Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Good afternoon. This is Carmen, and happy Friday to everyone. It is 1 p.m. in the West Coast in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Uh, today, uh, for those of you who've never been on our show, this we do this podcast every Friday, and we get to interview uh, veterans who are founders of companies or organizations. And I'm excited about today's um, guest, Chris Stout, who... Uh, He's doing projects that are dear to my heart and and I'm sure would be dear to other folks' heart. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you today? I am awesome. Thank you for asking. I'm glad to be here. Well, welcome to our show today, Chris. And uh, we always like to start our show out by asking our veterans to tell us a little bit about themselves, where they're from, where they grew up, and what led them to go into the military service. So so that's my starting question for you today. (laughs) Yeah, no, not a problem. I... um... So I, I live in Kansas City. This is where my family's at. This is um, what I, ca- I call home. I'm actually originally from Alaska and then um, moved here when I was young. Uh, how I got into the military was I feel like, uh, you know, kind of like the, the biggest kind of punch in the gut by my brother. You know, I was going to college and doing all right. And he's like, dude, you got to join the Army or the Marine Corps. He's like, whatever you do, don't join the Navy. I'm like sitting back thinking, okay, you're in the Navy, but why would you say that? And then going through that whole process, I joined and was talking to him about different jobs. He's like, oh, dude, you got to do combat arms. You're going to love it. Nothing administrative. So I I joined up as field artillery, and uh, I remember going through basic thinking, oh, dude, I'm going to I'm gonna kick your rear when I see you. Um, cause you set me up for failure and you set me up to be out in the field all the time. Yeah. Just not the most pleasant experience. Right. Um, but then, you know, fast forward, I ended up loving it. And, uh, you know, I think I was blessed to be put in a good unit with some great people. And, uh, but yeah, that was it. You know, after about three years of college, I, I joined up and, um, I think it was most importantly to help get my life on track and guided the right direction. So, so, um, how interesting that your brother would tell you, uh, you know, to join the army and not the navy. And um, so, did you um, join in as an officer? You you, you had college, no. or you went in as an enlisted? What year did you go in? I did. So I uh, I joined it. I I enlisted, just a standard enlisted, and then um, I was assigned to the eighty second. Um, I got there about. 2003 um maybe 2002 some somewhere in there and then um i ended up being medically retired um after being injured in afghanistan uh in 2005 so uh, i actually my i think my separation date was 2006 or yeah 2006 um so i spent right at four years in um 
was medically retired after being injured on um, a deployment to Afghanistan. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that whole process was enlightening. You know, I got out. I thought I was the smartest 26-year-old out there, you know, collecting retirement and Social Security. I was like, man, I was, I was living the dream, right? Mm-hmm. But you found out otherwise. So what did you do after you got out? Yeah, so, um, you know, just like I think with every young 20-something, you think you know everything, you have it all planned out. Um, I got out, and I'm like, I'm golden. I didn't really need to work because I had this income coming in. But it didn't take long, you know, uh, before I went through my first divorce. And then I got remarried, and then it, I quickly realized that kind of that was extremely damaging to relationships, and then not only that, but to myself. Um, I learned that uh, not working and hanging out at the house isn't cheap, you know, whether you're drinking beer or you're fishing or you're playing video games, whatever it is, it costs money. And uh, it just, it became very unhealthy. And then one day, uh, you know, my wife and I, you know, this is at my second marriage. She's like, you know, we need to make some changes. I went back to school. I was able to finish my degree, work on my master's. And, um, you know, so I was blessed with that. And, I was able to kind of shake some of that stuff off, right? You know, I think what, you know, at the time when I got out, there's so many people getting out and kind of being, um, you know, all this stuff thrown in their lap and not really any direction or resources out there to really, you know, help guide them through that. I didn't realize that there was, you know, the mental health issues there. I just thought it was all physical. And then, you know, through this process, and you know, I think I was blessed to have this amazing family kind of stand by my side and kind of, work through that stuff with me. That's great. So, so what did you, you went back to college and, and then you even did a master. So what did you do your studies in? Yeah, business. And I, I will tell you, I worked a couple different jobs. I, I worked at a restaurant. I was there as a GM for a while. And then, um, from there I went to, um, I went to work at HR block and I worked there for quite a while. And, I think the really cool thing about that was, is, um, again, blessed with the right people, right place. You know, I didn't recognize, um, I'd gone to a school to take one of my tests, an online test, and uh, they're having this career fair. And I met these individuals from HR Block. They're like, hey, we want to hire somebody. So I go through this, this thing. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do taxes. This sounds like the worst job on the planet. And um, they're like, time out. That's not how it is. And, um, through that process, I got an interview, right. And I missed my first three interviews and I didn't realize why I'd missed it, but I'd missed it. Then, um, I finally get hired. And then about that time I start utilizing the VA, the resources, um, you know, recognizing that there's a traumatic brain injury, some cognitive issues. And that's probably why I missed all those interviews. But again, I was blessed. I had this great supervisor i think she saw some potential in me and um so i was able to start out as this part-time seasonal um office manager while i was going finishing up school and then i was i actually grew to where you know i was uh, operations director and and overseeing about 70 offices um so that was an extreme blessing just to kind of have people stick by me and allow me to do that versus having to resort back to you know my disability and social security and all the above. Um, and from there, uh, that's whenever I started working in nonprofits. 
So did you did you go through the H and R Block uh, tax preparer training? I actually did that myself years ago. Um, I worked for them and took their training uh, because if you were supervising offices, I mean, I wondered if you needed to have an understanding of what all of them do and did they make you do, uh, take their training? Oh yes, they absolutely do. Yeah, they um, and I would tell you that was a struggle. You know, I think. Um, you know, working on class and then going there for three or four hours a night and trying to pass their tax course, um, you know. But, you know, to that, I think that the benefit was is I was able to truly, to your point, I was able to understand what the tax professionals were going through, and um, I think that helped me, you know, elevate myself to the next level, you know, within the company. Right, and, and I'm sure that, Understanding that even helped with the uh, organization that you later started, right? In terms of, you know, requirements and and, and just the fact that um, even nonprofits have to file taxes and um, do all kinds of other compliance paperwork uh, related to um, tax tax work, I, I suppose. Well, it sounds like you had a, a wonderful support team. Can you talk about that a little bit more? You, you know, you mentioned that it, it seems like everywhere you went, it, it appears that your family is part of your support team, but it appears that you mentioned that other people stepped in as part of your support team. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, so my injury when I got out, um, I had a mobility injury. Um, I had a crush injury to my right leg. And um, through that, I, I had met this, uh, this group, this uh, nonprofit organization that gives segues to disabled veterans, right? So that they're not sitting in a wheelchair. I think it gives a new perspective on mobility and getting around. And so I'd met this group. And I will tell you that I think it's my feeling that the combination of the support that I was able to receive from those guys. And it wasn't just a mobility device and then there you go, good luck. But they welcomed me in like family and uh, I was able to make that realization that, listen, when I'm working with veterans or I'm around them, I'm coming back re-energized and I'm charged. And uh, I'll tell you, it was actually my wife that made that connection. She was like, hey, listen, I think if you you know, want to find something that is true to your heart, you need to work with vets. And so she was actually the one that kind of made that realization. You know, I, I didn't see it because I think I'm probably too close to it, but it was um, this really cool uh, intrinsic organic thing that uh, happened. And then it was from there that I um, was like, okay, I'm going to leave this job where I was making great money. And I'm going to try to find a job where I can work with vets. And that's that's how I ended up at the United Way of Greater Kansas City. Um, and I was taking all these calls and uh, basically connecting vets to uh, the, the right resources. So what was the name of that organization? So that it, it sounds like it was also a veteran organization. It is, yes. It's a, um, it, The name of the organization is called SEGS for Vets, S-E-G-S the number four vets and they just provide segues and um, modified segues for uh, those that have been injured in, in combat. Awesome. 
and so and so from there you realize I like the expression you used true to your heart that you wanted to work with um, uh, with what was really true to your heart so you realize you wanted to work with veterans and so the United Way of Greater Kansas City they uh, they provide support to veterans yeah so um, across the majority of the country and I would I would say probably 98 percent of the country there is this thing called 211 right it's a universal phone number anybody can call I consider it a 911 for community resources right but you just dial 211 and you're somebody picks up the phone 24 hours a day and you tell them what you need and they connect you to the right stuff um, and it could be anything it could be counseling it could be dental services homeless services, whatever that looks like. So the United Way had started this position where anybody had called, if anybody calls 211 in Kansas City, they're connected with a veteran that will put them in touch with veteran-specific resources, right? And so that's what I did. And when we started, I mean, we were probably getting seven to 10 calls a week. And by the time I was leaving, we were at well over 250 calls a week, just trying to place people in uh, housing situations, help with emergency financial stuff. And yeah, but that's what they did. It was called the Veterans Navigator and it was Paul, part of their call center um, program that they had. Awesome. Uh, Chris, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with your story. Perfect. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. We are back with Chris Stout, the founder of Veterans Community Project. So, Chris, we were talking about the United Way and um, uh, how you started working there and you were able to uh, realize um, some of uh, what's really true to your heart, which was working with veterans, right? So what happened? How long did you work there? And then what happened next after you left the uh, United Way of Greater Kansas City? So I'll tell you, um, I was there for uh, right about four years, just a little over four years. And um, through this whole process of working there, listen, it's a great organization. They um, are doing phenomenal thing, raise, raising great, great amount, great amount of money. Um, but for me, whenever I was working there, I just saw this huge gap in services. Right, I was the guy that was sorting out what type of veteran this individual was, or I was sorting out when he served, and then trying to place him in the right. Um, you know, with the right organization to serve his needs, whether it's housing, emergency financial assistance, whatever it looked like. And by the time the call came in to the time I was able to serve him, sometimes it was two days later, right? Mm-hmm. Just through the process. And for me, it was definitely my feeling that, listen, when a veteran reaches out, they're at the end of the rope. They're not reaching out because they owe 20 bucks. They're not reaching out because, listen, they, they stub their toe they're reaching out because there's a severe issue, right? I mean, they're about to be evicted. They're about to lose their family, whatever it looks like. And it was my opinion that when that occurred, listen, if you were the guy that told them, sorry, I can't help you, or here's a list of phone numbers, then I felt like I was adding to that 22 a day, right? 
that that veteran suicide rate because I feel like when vets are backed against the wall and they can't get the help they need when they ask for it, then that's the next easiest step for them, right? Is that the national average, um, 22 suicides a day by veterans? Yeah, you know, that is, I think that's the number that everybody knows, right? But I think it bounces between 20 and 22. And for me, I didn't want to be a part of that. You know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to work with an organization that says, listen, if you can't help them in 10 minutes, you have to move on to the next caller. To me, that didn't make sense. And so it was this, it was, I would tell you the moment, the exact moment where I made the realization where I'm going to start my own thing was Mm -hmm. we had this young Marine that had uh, reached out to us. He needed like, gosh, I mean, it was under 250 bucks to stay in his apartment. Well, he'd reached out and I'm like, listen, I got to put you in a shelter overnight to qualify you for the grant. Right. So he could get his homeless letter. Well, while he was in the shelter, he'd left his, he had a service dog. He'd left his service dog with his wife and her two kids. She left and went to work. The landlord, the place he was staying at, mm-hmm. getting right about ready to be evicted from, had thrown all of his stuff out on the lawn. And then his dog got picked up by the city. And so I called a buddy. I'm like, listen, we got to get a U-Haul. We got to get all the stuff. We're going to have to put him in a hotel over the weekend. And it was Memorial Day weekend. So nothing was open. None of the nonprofits were there uh, operating. And so we did it, right? And it ended up costing us well over 1500 bucks to get this guy sorted out, right? And knew a place, the, the hotel, getting his stuff picked up, the U-Haul, all that stuff, right? Storage shed for his belongings. And to me, that was the light switch moment. I'm like... The defining been moment, a, huh? Yeah. There should have been an organization that said, here's your 250 bucks to stay in your apartment and then provide the additional services to solve whatever got him to that need mm-hmm. point. But there wasn't like all, I think, I think the, the, the issue with a lot of these grants that are put out there, they wait until people are so far, so far lost, you mm-hmm. know, or it costs 10 times as much to fix the problem than if we started providing some preventative measures. And so I was having um, a get-together at my house that weekend. And, (laughs) you know, we were sitting there talking, my buddy and I, that, you know, had to do all the moving and, you know, get the the U-Haul and whatnot. And we were complaining. And there's another word I'd like to use, but probably not appropriate for here. We were doing that. And somebody was like, if you guys could do it better, then why don't you? And Mm -hmm. it was that moment that... uh, I have a great, a good friend. His name's Kevin. Um, and he's the one that started this with me. And we were like, okay, for lack of better terms, like hold my beer. We'll show you. And so we started meeting every Monday and just rallying the right people together. And we, I, I will tell you, it didn't take long for it to take shape. Right. We wanted to create this place that was designed to say yes. Mm. Right. Above all. Right. That was the number one thing. I think people know my organization from the tiny houses because we do tiny houses, but our it, ultimate goal is, man, we just want to create a place that said, yes, if you served, we're going to serve you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I did look at your website and actually oh, one of the videos uh, made me kind of teary-eyed, but, but you're doing a lot more than that, it appears. You, you're 
uh, trying to restore people. And so, um, so you had this defining moment, and Kevin, your friend, and you just started um, brainstorming on how you could serve these veterans better than the existing organizations out there. Yeah, I mean, originally that's what it was, and then we're we're like, listen, we're going to, um, I mean, because we looked at a couple things, like, all right, we'll just open up a brick-and-mortar outreach center where people can walk in and get what they need. And then we're like, that doesn't make sense because a lot of the people that we were serving, they needed an opportunity to hit that reset button. So it was that point where we realized we needed to provide some housing. So... Uh, we worked through a couple different scenarios. We thought, oh, okay, we're going to rehab an old school here in town. But, you know, because Kansas City has about 26 empty schools. And uh, we're like, oh, yeah, the city will give us, you know, one to, to do what we need to do. Well, it turned out that that was probably one of the most expensive models out there. Mm. And so we kind of, we scrapped that from the get-go. And it was at a meeting that uh, she's now our board president that she had mentioned. She was, have you guys thought about tiny houses? And I'm like, I don't even know what the heck a tiny house is. So I had to, I Googled it. I watched some stuff on YouTube, just like all the young kids do now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned what a tiny house was. And then we started running numbers. And we're like, listen, this is the most cost-effective way to provide housing. And not only housing, but housing with dignity. That was the key for us. We wanted you know, people to feel safe and secure, have their own space, and just have that opportunity to thrive. While we, for la- again, for lack of better terms, we're smothering them with resources, free legal services, credit counseling, all of the above, right? Um, so that they have an opportunity to kind of make that 90-degree turn and just change what, what they have going on. So so then the year you started this, what year um, did you start this Veterans uh, Community Project? 2015. Okay. And so you said um, when you and Kevin got together, it didn't take long to figure out um, uh, what you were going to do. So what do you mean by that? Like a few months or? Yeah. So um, we probably actually started working uh, late 2014. Um, And at that point, we were like, okay, we have this idea. And so we just started roping a bunch of people in. And one of the first people we roped in after that was Mark, and he's one of our co-founders. He um, was a real estate guy. I knew him through my daughter his son went to school together. So I'm like, listen, I see your Navy vet, you're a real estate guy. Can you help? And um, so he kind of joined in. And then, um, you know, we had a great board set up, and we are kind of rocking and rolling. Uh, and that's when we decided we need to do tiny houses and we needed to provide the services the whole wraparound services i mean we literally we kevin and i were out on the streets talking to the people we were going to serve and ask them what they needed what they thought that the best low barrier entry point for a lot of the services was because i tell you i i can have my own ideas but unless you're you're reaching out to the people you're actually serving i don't think you're going to hit hit it on the head you know mm-hmm. you're going to miss a mark you're going to miss a mark so um, but yeah, that's, that's how it was. So we, we leaned on Mark and then when we decide, like, uh, our board president is with the city council. And so through that partnership, she connected us with the city land bank, 
um, planning and zoning. And, you know, we were able to have this amazing relationship with um, the city because the reality is we wouldn't be doing what we're doing without the city because tiny houses traditionally aren't legal within city limits. And we, um, we needed them to approve it. We needed them to kind of get, um, get us on the same page. And so that we could, we didn't want to be 10 years down the road, you know, and then finally providing housing. So, uh, but yeah, it was just through these phenomenal relationships, right? We met with the mayor, then the mayor connected us with other city council people, city council people connects with planning development. And so it was truly this, listen, I, I, I like to tell people this. I, I'm the guy that gets to run it, but this is other people's project. This is a city's project. This is the community's project. Because without them, I mean, there's no way we could, we would be afloat today. You know, mm-hmm. it's those guys building our houses, helping us through the, the, the legal process, you know, getting us all squared away. So it was just a really cool, um, really cool thing to see everybody come together. And I think it, in my I, opinion, I think it's. Go ahead. If, uh, you think from your opinion? I think, in my opinion, people really took ownership of it, and and they said, "Listen, we don't want to see this fail." And um, we joke all the time. Listen, everybody loves freedom. Nobody hates veterans. So that that made it really easy for everybody to kind of jump on board. I love it. We're going to take another break, and we'll be right back, Chris. Perfect. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. We are back with Chris Stout, the founder of Veterans Community Project. And Chris, I just uh, just love what you're sharing. What I see is that you guys were pretty brave and courageous to just make this decision. We let's let's do this better. And then you didn't even have the resources at that point. But the fact that you just t- took one little step there, and, and and you know, and then started you know brainstorming, people came. Uh, it reminds me of Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner's <laughs> movie. Yeah. Build it, and they shall come. So you wanted to build this wonderful organizations to take care of veterans and their housing needs and all of their other needs, um, which you mentioned you've been able to provide wraparound services. So tell me about the wraparound services. That's uh, I, I like that phrase. In, um, it, it, you know, you, 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 you brought in all of these um, strategic people, like the councilwoman, uh, the... Uh, the real estate guy, I mean, that is amazing how all these folks stepped up and um, are part of your organization now. So um, so what, what, what do you do in terms of the wraparound services? 
So I will say this one. Yes, we brought the council people. We brought uh, the real estate guy. Kevin was a social worker. I had a degree in business at this point. But through that process, we also brought on um, a guy named Brandon, and he was a construction guy. And then we brought on Brian. Uh, and Brandon is an Army veteran as well. And then Brian is a Marine Corps veteran. But Brian uh, was an attorney, had just graduated law school. And so um, we, we always kind of joke we're like listen we had like that right that that perfect storm right business social work construction attorney real estate guy and to get all those veterans that i think thrive in their field together to do this thing when we 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 tease all the time listen ignorance gets you a long way right (laughs) because had we known any better we probably would have uh stopped a long time ago but uh you know i think that Throwing all of that together, all of us, um, you know, is what kind of made it there. But to your question about the wraparound services, to me, that is so much more important than even the tiny houses, right? I think mm-hmm. er- everybody thinks the tiny houses are cool. You know, that's, that's again, what we're known for. But I tell people all the time, I can house anybody. It's how long can you keep somebody housed? That should be the question. Right. And I think if you're just arbitrarily housing people, then they're going to when they run the course of whatever program they're in, whether it be five months or nine months, um, you're going to be right back in the same spot. You haven't really fixed anything. And so for us, the wraparound services were by far the most important thing that we could do because we knew that with free legal services, we were kind of chipping away at whatever issues some of the homeless individuals that we're serving have right and same thing with uh working with the state on child support and um you know job placement um job training medical care dental care there's a lot of things that i think people don't realize i think they're walking down the street and they see some guy homeless and i think the first assumption is well why doesn't he get a job Mm -hmm. and it's it's just not that simple for some, right? Because it's hard to get a job when you don't have a place to shower. It's not, it's hard to get a job. when you don't have an address to put on an application. There's all of these things that create these barriers that prevent people. And when it, and I think as you can attest, um, after your service, it's hard to ask for help as a veteran. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, especially back when we served, it wasn't, uh, command culture to be like, listen, air out all your problems at every formation. You just didn't do that, right? You kept that buried and you tried to deal with it on your own until it caught up to you. And then your commander, your first sergeant was like, hey, not okay. And then they were stepping in to fix it for you. Well, I think what our mission is, is with these wraparound services, you know, free legal, information referral, housing placement, job placement, food pantry, clothing closet, emergency financial assistance, substance abuse treatment, all the above. And I will tell you that's a list, but that's not all encompassing because it's our goal to figure it out. Mm. So um, those things are the most important, you know, and we talk all the time, right? Where we're trying to say that veterans, right? We, we get all the time, right? What era of veterans are you serving? Well, right now we're serving a lot of Vietnam, Gulf War vets, right? Well, the reason being is, is that those guys that served 
how many ever years ago, their bodies are starting to fail. They've burned through every bridge that they had, and now they're hitting that homeless stage. Mm. For the Iraq Afghanistan guys, I mean, it's still new to us. It's young, right? We we have our mom's couch, our grandma's couch, our cousin's couch, our friend's couch that we all we can still sleep on. Mm-hmm. Now, in our opinion, that's still homeless. However, in a lot of other organizations' opinion, that's not homeless because they're sleeping on a couch. You know, they're like, listen, they're not on the street. But for us, we want to fix what got them there. And usually it's it's something it's something that if you catch early on, it's not something so monumental that you can't overdo it. You you can't overtake it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I you know, I never thought about it that way. Um, but that was good that you explained that, particularly like the Iraq of the Afghanistan. Uh, sometimes they have their their um, parents' home or other family members, but not the Vietnam or potentially the Gulf War veterans. So that's a, an interesting comment you made. Um, well, I, th- I think that if you go back to it, right, and you talk to all those guys, even the Vietnam era guys, they'll be able to testify that, hey, I lived with I lived in my mom's basement for a while. I stayed with my grandparents till they passed away. I stayed at some friend's house all before they finally resorted to, listen, I'm just going to, like a turtle, right? Claim up and not not reach out, you know, because they didn't know. And I think back in that day that, uh, you know, claiming that you're a vet wasn't the most popular thing. Not for the Vietnam ones. <laughs> right, right. So it, it was not good for them. So um, how long do they typically stay in this home? Is this a permanent forever home for the um, vets, the tiny homes? Yes. So in Kansas City, um, it's transitional, right? So we try to basically, we smother them with every resource we can. And we, the way we see it for this transitional housing project that we have going on here in Kansas City is that the sweet spot for us, right? If we're doing everything right, right? We have low case management to, to um, you know, all the loads, right? So we have an eight to one. So my case managers only serve eight individuals. And if, as long as we keep it that way, they're able to transition somebody from homelessness in a tiny house to permanent supportive house or permanent housing, wherever that looks like for it. And I think it's different for everybody, but we're able to do that in about six to eight months. Wow. That's about a- the time we, I, well, yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, I think about the time we hit that one year mark, is whenever we start evaluating us. Are we doing the right things? Is this the right place for the individual? That kind of stuff. Mm, that is amazing. So so, so the tiny houses are transitional then? They are in Kansas City and Colorado, right? We're working on a project currently in St. Louis, and we're working on another project in Orlando, and those will be permanent supportive housing. Okay. So th- those will be... You know, and I think we as an organization have to meet the needs of the community that we're serving, right? So I can't just say, listen, all we do is transitional housing because if I go to a place like Oakland or San Francisco and try to do transitional housing, I will have nowhere to transition them to because they have, the housing crisis is so great that they're going to end up extending past that two years. So 
to maintain your, your homeless status. It's 24 months and one day that you can stay in any one place. And um, so it's our goal to kind of fix everything that people come in our transitional housing places. That's our goal. Now, permanent supportive housing, we're back in, like, listen, they can stay as long as they like, but we're still going to provide those wraparound services. We're going to offer them up. Be the connectors of all things veterans. Awesome. We're going to take another quick break, um, and we'll be right back, Chris. Thank you. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. We are back with Chris Stout, a co-founder of Veterans Community Project. So, Chris, I'm just amazed that you just shared that you you are working now in San Francisco, in Colorado, and other places, and, and, and you founded the organization in 2015. So, um, so expansion has taken place quite rapidly. I think... Uh the thing that makes us unique is that we are building these communities inside city limits with access to all the resources. You know, we're not the first to connect homeless people in tiny houses, but I think we're the first to do it within city limits, right? And to do them, build every house to code. So since then, we've been reached out to well over 800 by 800 different communities asking us to do the same thing, replicate it in their community. I will tell you that us being so young, it's, figuring out how to support it financially and kind of handle that expansion at an appropriate level as to not burn ourselves out or, you know, like a lot of organizations, try to grow too quick and run out of funds. That is very important and that is very wise. So word has gotten out. um, And in your case, you are targeting veterans, but have you had other organizations uh, contact you that are non-veteran to try to do something similar in their cities? Oh, absolutely. I think um, when we decided to do this, we're like, listen, we're going to take one niche population and serve them. We chose veterans because we were able to relate to that, right? But I think that, uh, well, I know we've had people ask us about seniors, um, children aging out of foster care, um, those uh, adults with uh, disabilities that still need some supervision but want to be able to try to live independently. Um, So I think that there's a ton of opportunity to replicate this for a larger demographic, right, or these specific niche populations. It's just, how do we get there, right? And I think the hurdle is, is that uh, a lot of cities have all these codes put into place that prevent tiny homes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty labor-intensive and not very cost-effective to go in and start working this, right? I think if every development took three to four years to get up and going, then I think that there there'd be a far less homes built out there every day because you can't afford to spend all that money kind of, you know, the planning, the zoning piece and getting it approved through the city. It's just, it seems unrealistic. And I think that's why people are drawn to us is because they're like, Hey, 
you guys did it. How can you do it here? And they want to know the process we went through and um, the time it took and, you know, how we kind of rallied everybody there. Because I think with tiny houses in general, you get a lot of that whole not in my backyard. I think you get that with the tiny homes because I think that there's just a lack of education there. And I think you get that with homeless. One of the really cool things is, is that if you take our Kansas City project, we moved homeless individuals into a neighborhood. We increased our property value. I mean, I think our property was worth like eight, eighty thousand bucks. Um, city sold it just for five hundred, but now it's worth nearly one point five million. And every property around us has increased property value. And I think that's a very unique thing when you're moving homeless people into a community. I think the 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 standard is it's like, oh man, this is going to wreck my property value. You look at our Colorado project. We're building our homes in conjunction we're we're part of this big 65 acre uh, development um we we get, we're getting about four acres we're doing 25 houses in colorado and um in that same development there's homes that range from four hundred and fifty thousand to nine hundred thousand dollars and nobody's fearful of it nobody's afraid of what we're doing and how we're serving our homeless population the veterans and moving them into those things. So I think that's why there's such an appeal to it. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, as you were talking, I mean, I, I had all kinds of questions, but we don't have enough time in this show to even answer my own questions. I'm sure uh, that there's probably a lot from our audience as well. Um, but um, so what is your greatest need right now? I think with any nonprofit organization the greatest need is always cash right Mm -hmm. however i think one of the things that makes veterans community project unique is that cash isn't the only thing right we need those that can wire homes those that can donate sheetrock donate roofing supplies donate heating cooling units things like that Mm -hmm. that's what that's what we need right because we will figure it out we'll shake it out on how to provide the services but if we can get the cost of our homes down to like next to nothing to you know through donations, that is a monumental win for us. I think you know, and to kind of put it in perspective, right? Let's take our Kansas City project, for example. You know, we're building forty nine houses. We're finishing up our forty ninth house um, in the next couple months. But when we first started, the cost of our homes with the donations that we were receiving were about sixteen grand. As we're rolling into phase three, the cost of our homes are under eight thousand wow. dollars, and that's because that's because we got our concrete donated, Mitsubishi donated the heating and cooling units, and uh, CD Jones. Um, our plumbing is donated, our electrical work is done, right? And Home Depot gives us a, a good size grant, so we have all these great partners that they may not necessarily have the ability to write a check. But they have the ability to provide these services. They have the ability to do our plumbing. They have the ability to to donate product. And that's what's huge. Like one of the most amazing things is we don't pay for roofing or insulation because Atlas donates it all. And they'll do that for us nationwide. So it's a really cool thing. Wow. This, you know, I mean, I think you should be on national TV. Has anybody solicited uh, an interview from any of the major um, TV stations to go tell your story and what you're doing? 
Not yet. Um, I I was blessed uh, that I was nominated as a CNN hero last year, and I made it into the top ten. Congratulations! No, um, oh, thank you so That's much. So wonderful! Congratulations. And, and you know, for me, it, it's extremely difficult to wrap my head around. You know, somebody won, somebody calling me a hero, things of that nature, and being recognized. But I think the benefit is is that you know we were broadcast nationwide we were able to get that out the flood of people saying hey i could do this or just donating um was overwhelming and so you know to your point things like that that really helps um grow our mission expand our message um, and it's extremely valuable it is so yeah and then that was going to be one of my questions how much does a, a typical tiny house cost but um i'm glad you shared um how you were able to drive the cost down because i know that uh where we're at uh the portland oregon area we have an extreme problem with homelessness and um, um, I don't know. It's, I, I think that um, your organization has a lot to offer um, some of these folks that are trying to resolve these issues in, in our particular state, and I'm sure in many others. So I am so impressed with what you're doing. And um, um, I just want to ask you, is there, you know, it, it just seems like you've done a lot and learned a lot, and um, I'm sure, would you say, like, from your military experience, that's really has turned out to be, uh, now, you you know, you've drawn, um, you've been able to uh, do this organization to help support your vets. Do you have any, any advice you want to offer to um, potential uh, folks out there who may want to start an organization or a business? Because really, even a nonprofit is, is like running a business. Oh, it absolutely is. I think that if you don't treat it like a business, you'll become irrelevant real quick and you'll, you'll not be able to continue to be funded. Um, so here are my thoughts on that, right? To your point, I don't think that we would have been able to do what we've done without the military experience, right? I think in the military, they give you a job and they say execute. There's not, traditionally, there's not a plan B. It's just do it, right? And I think that that benefit has helped get us here, right? We're like, listen, we don't care how it gets done, we're doing it. And um, I think if we had any other mentality, we would have been dead in the water years ago. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, I get this all the time, right? They're like, Why'd you do it? How'd you do it? You know, when we, when we went through this process, I've, I've mortgaged my home to make this happen to, you know, I spent my life savings to make this happen. And it, I think it takes a lot of commitment from your family. Mm -hmm. But I think when you start out, if you start small and you're like, listen, this is the step I'm going to take. It's all going to work out. I think that, you know, life in general when you when you change your direction and you're you're there to serve others, man, it everything just kind of rolls out. And then the other thing is, people are going to tell you no. It doesn't matter what your idea is. I mean, it could be the a fifty million dollar idea or billion dollar idea, but people are going to tell you no. And if you're the kind of guy that takes no for an answer, I mean, you're done before you started. 
you know, you you have to be that guy that just is like, I'm going to make this happen. And you're either with me or you're not. I love it. That is awesome. So I am on board with what you just shared, uh, Chris. That was beautifully said. So where can people find you? Um, you want to give out your um, website um, because I'm sure there's folks out there that want to donate to this cause. Yeah, so um, the best place to get our information is veteranscommunityproject.org. Right? That's the easiest best place. We keep it updated. We keep it updated with our donate, our uh, donor opportunities and our new locations that we're, that we're expanding and working to. The other place is, is, I mean, Facebook and Instagram, you know, and it's Veterans Community Project. You know, I think if you just type in the search bar, it's going to pop right up. But, uh, you know, there's our daily volunteer opportunities, our daily donation needs, things of that nature, and the happenings, like where we're going to be where I might be speaking, things of all that stuff, right? So I think, um, you know, that, that's been a blessing for us, starting out very organically using the, the local social media, uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, please visit our website, you know. And then anybody that's local, you're welcome to come by the office. You know, our address is on our website. Um, call us, email us. You know, we answer everything that comes our way. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Chris. You've been, uh, this is such an inspiring story, and it's been wonderful to hear details, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but uh, time didn't allow to to find out more. Uh, i just uh, going to look forward to seeing how this continues to expand and seeing you on national TV someday. So... Uh, <laughs> Thank you to our audience today. We will see you again on another episode of our Veterans Founders podcast next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Happy Friday. Thank you. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.